0: Self-care isn't just one universal act. What you do depends on what you need in order to grow. You're listening to Unsweeten and Unfilter the podcast, episode 23 of season 2. In today's episode, we speak to Samaya Taufik about the ins and outs of self-growth, learning to show ourselves compassion, and how to avoid being a victim of spiritual bypassing. Hey, it's Denya. and Zaina. And welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success.
1: We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health
0: to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise.
1: Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry,
0: and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into Season 2 of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. You know, I can't thank you guys enough for the positive feedback on our last episode with our special guest Hanan Abdelkhalik. It was such an incredible conversation, one that I feel like I can talk about for hours. I know Zena, you feel the same way, and Hanan does too. And something that really resonated with me and with everybody else was when she said that nature doesn't bloom all year round. My favorite quote. It's so fitting for now and what we're going through. And I feel like everybody's going through something right now.
1: Especially right now. um, I feel like with everything going on, there's so much anxiety. There's so much stress. There's so much fear of the unknown and I was actually at work the other day and there was an article that came out of the Cleveland Clinic that said they found a significant increase of patients experiencing something called the broken heart syndrome and I didn't know this existed but it has symptoms similar to a heart attack but they're triggered by stress and anxiety and when people losing their jobs right now and they're worried about how they're going to pay their bills and they're worried about you know relationships the, the relationships are in right now exactly and like the health of their loved ones they have so much stress that people are people are feeling as if they're going through heart attacks and that's how bad it is right now there's an article i'm going to read a little part of it but they basically said there was a study
0: that was published on thursday last thursday that found a significant increase in broken heart syndrome at two Ohio hospitals. Among some patients who don't have coronavirus, but because of like their physical and social and economic stressors that we're all going through right now from the pandemic, it's taking a physical toll on us. And, like, I mean, we would be lying if we didn't say that. We kind of feel the same way, too, you know? And basically it says broken heart syndrome, what it is, is it occurs when the heart muscles weaken. Like, you guys, this is really physical. When the heart muscles weaken, which leads to chest pain and shortness of breath and it presents itself like a heart attack, but it's triggered by stressful events, just like you said, Zaina.
1: And you know, you don't think stress has that. It can, you know, it obviously affects you mentally, but it's affecting you physically now. So I mean, if now more than ever, if you are feeling stress, if you are feeling like there's something that's not right, that's not sitting right in your heart and on your chest, get it checked out. You know, take care of your physical well-being, but also know that your mental well-being can impact everything.
0: It's it's hard, you guys, because like I know majority of us are so attached to our daily activities that we're used to. Yeah, routines. That, yeah, our routines, but not, not only that, but like I know friends who haven't seen their grandparents in such a long while and they don't live too far from them, but even our grandparents are struggling to understand the concept of like, why are my loved ones visiting me? They yes. must not love me or what's going on? It's not that they're not taking it seriously, but this is the first time that they're going through this too. And everybody's going through it in their own way. And it's not easy at it's all. Not, so, yeah, I mean, it's, l- it's
1: stressful. And for me, the fear of the unknown and not being able to plan for things and plan to see my family and friends, that's the hardest part of that's it for great me. That's a point.
0: Yeah. That's so true. Because honestly, that's what I'm looking at. Like, I think for once, we're finally taking life day by day. Yes. Instead of just, I think now, maybe we needed this reality check, not to this extent, but to finally be, be able to focus on life in the present moment. And not to take things for granted of what we have in our lives, because I think oftentimes we're always like bouncing between past life and future life. And why did I go through what I went through? Or what am I gonna, what's gonna happen in the future? What's planned for me? It's like, let's just take a slow, take a deep breath. You're
1: being forced to hit the pause button. Basically. And that's
0: why I think. You know, following up on our conversation with Hanan about post-divorce and self-empowerment and everything in between, I think this was going to be a great follow-up conversation, which we had um, for this week's episode. And our special guest is going to be Sumaya Tawfiq, who is actually a mental health therapist, and she's on Instagram, and her Instagram handle is Growth Work. I suggest you guys follow her. Like, I highly recommend her. She has so much amazing, incredible content on there. But today's conversation, we talk about really interesting things. And towards the end of the conversation, we really focused heavily on the idea of spiritual bypassing, which you kind of know to a certain extent it exists, but you didn't know that it was labeled that way. I
1: didn't know there was an actual term for it. And the fact that there is an actual term for it makes me feel like we're on the right path to bettering the situation. Do you want to explain what it is? Yeah, so it's when you choose not to use faith as an avoidance mechanism. It's to be able to feel the emotions that you're feeling. Without saying,
0: oh, I shouldn't be sad. I shouldn't be down because I'm Muslim and I should always be happy and grateful. But, you know, Sumaya talks about the fact that patience and pain are not mutually exclusive. We also highlight, you know, stories of our prophets and how they felt pain, but they were like the best of believers of Allah. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's it's an incredible topic and I, I loved it. And we talk about the difference between settling for something and accepting the way things are we get into it you guys so I really really hope you guys enjoy this conversation this is one that I feel like will help a lot of people and help people like me who were always on the fence about seeking therapy and I think this is just a really motivational conversation I can't wait for you guys to tune into this episode are you ready to dive in
1: let's do it Sumaya, thank you so much for joining us today. When we talk about therapy, when we talk about self-growth, when we talk about things that make us uncomfortable, those I think are the conversations that we need to have that are so important and I think that are often, especially in our community, overlooked and undersimplified. And I wanna get into all of that, but before we do, can you just go ahead and introduce yourself to the people listening?
2: Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, My name is Sumaya, I am a therapist I'm working in McLean, Virginia. And so I used to be a teacher. And after four years of teaching, I realized that while I love my students, like teaching wasn't what I wanted to do, but I felt like they were coming in with so many other issues, right? Not knowing how to manage emotions or things with parents at home. And I was talking to parents about how to parent their kids. And I realized that my passion really aligned with more therapeutic work than the teaching work. So after that, I ended up going to grad school. I got my master's in clinical social work and then after that, I did a training in pastoral counseling, which really focuses focuses on allowing therapeutic spaces to have room for religious conversation. So it's not therapy that's driven by religion. It's really just like if you want to see a therapist who kind of has more context to your faith practice, all these therapists are really open and trained to kind of have those conversations. And so after finishing that, um, I began practicing and majority of my population is Muslim women which I love. Like, that's why I went to school for that's why I want to serve. And yeah, that's kind of been my journey to becoming a therapist.
0: I do want to mention the point where you said pastoral counseling, does that mean like if somebody has, if a therapist is Christian, would she be able to help somebody who's Muslim? Would she be able to understand their situation to a certain extent? Or are you trying to say like, if you're a Muslim therapist, you're more inclined to see Muslim clients?
2: Um, I think the goal is for it to be really open. So I like to describe it as faith open. So your therapist who may be a Christian in her own practice knows how to navigate just faith as a bigger concept for people and really creates space for that, either being a source of a lot of strength, but it can also be a source of a lot of trauma, right? A lot of us might have like trauma from our religious experiences. And so therapeutic spaces where people are trained to have those conversations create a little bit more space and comfort around faith being an element that is talked about in the room.
1: That's great. That's so important. I think, I think it's often we don't look at that in that sense when we're going to look for a therapist. Will she understand my religious beliefs? Will she be open to the things that I need to talk to her about? And I think, is that something that you recommend people doing when they're looking for a therapist?
2: I think finding the right therapist is like a journey. I really, I have, I've had people try me and be like, hey, I don't think the vibe is right. And I'm like, awesome. I'm so glad you recognize that who can I refer you to that you will have a good vibe with, right? So I think finding the right therapist is really, really important. And I think having someone that you connect with, who understands your cultural perspective, who creates space for wherever you're coming from is so important. And so I have a lot of people who kind of switch to me, who've been to therapists and they're like, oh, well, she doesn't get my religion. She doesn't get my culture. And so then the things that they talk about in therapy or how the techniques they give aren't always in alignment so they'll be like oh well you should stop talking to your parents and so for a lot of my muslim clients they're like what no. <laughs> like that's not my default choice like that might be like end of the road if like things are so bad that i just can't maintain a relationship but right off the bat like i'm not going to cut my parents out right and that's something that i think if you don't have cultural context if you don't have religious context you sometimes miss finding a therapist who really gets you is really important. And so someone who understands your faith is really helpful
0: recently I opened up about actually finally seeking therapy from the last time I talked to Samaya oh I know I love your face right now you're so excited because it's like I know the last time I talked to you I was like intrigued about the idea we encourage um, therapy on our podcast so much but the thing is I was like I have to practice what I preach and I feel like I've reached a point in my life where I feel like I do need to seek a therapist and I've only heard great things about therapy from you uh, specifically you being a therapist and from other people who actually have therapy sessions and whatnot and The one issue that I had or not one issue, but one hesitation I had was if I get a therapist who's not Muslim, she or he going to understand my situation because I feel most of my, you know, issues or trauma or anything like that came from our cultural background and just the way we're raised and stuff like that. And I absolutely love my parents. I love how I was raised. But, you know, there's certain things that like you can't compare to somebody who's not Muslim in our upbringing. But, um, I had somebody who's Muslim who, you know, supports us on our podcast and she's like, literally my therapist is a white woman and she gets me and she's like, I'm Muslim and I talk about my faith and everything. She, she just gets me. And so I hope whoever's listening right now, don't hesitate. You're not going to find your perfect therapist on your first go around. And if you do, that's amazing. But I think <laughs> I need to keep that in the back of my mind. If this doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You just find the next therapist.
2: Yeah. So just as my personal experience with therapy, I've, I have my own therapist and I've had a Muslim therapist and I've had a non-Muslim therapist, mm. and I actually had really great experiences with both. So when I was in grad school, I just went to like the counseling center at my school, and so I would have sessions with one of the psychologists there, and she was wonderful, right? She didn't have a lot of context to STEM. She didn't have a lot of context to faith, but she was very open to hearing my context of it, right? She wanted to understand how it impacted me, and that's what she was going to work with. And so that was really helpful. And once I finished grad school, I found my Muslim therapist and I still see her. And it's like, what, like four years later, um, at different times, I see her more frequently. And when I feel like, okay, I'm doing okay. I'll see her like once a month for like check-ins, but I've kind of experienced both. And they were both really meaningful.
0: That's good. That's uplifting to hear, to be honest. And I want to talk about, because you said something along the lines, like this was offline, where you said like empowering our community to understand our emotional selves is basically your purpose and why you got into this. And then can we also talk about self-care and self-growth and how those go hand in hand?
2: Yeah. So for me, therapy is all of that, right? It's empowerment, it's self-care, it's growth. Like It really embodies all these different elements. And the reason I find therapy so empowering is because I think – It is so powerful to know yourself. And so often we feel like we have to like chase spaces to feel empowered. Like we need to be somewhere. We need to be someone to be powerful, to be empowered. And the reality is, is that when you know yourself really, really well, that's like the most powerful form of empowerment. You know how to navigate the world because you know your values, you know your emotional self, you know why you do stuff. And then you are empowered to make changes because you know yourself so well. And so empowerment of knowing yourself, I think, is essential and the most significant form. And for therapy being like self-growth and self-care, all of that, right? Because therapy is about getting to know yourself. And it's the really hard kind of self-care. Like I have clients who will sometimes like start therapy and they're like, oh my gosh, nobody warned me that it would be hard. And it is hard, right? Sometimes we think that we're going to go into a space and just have conversation and yes you will have conversation but sometimes it's a really hard conversation and sometimes it's painful conversation and sometimes it's realizing things about yourself that make you really uncomfortable or you're like wow i didn't realize i was doing that or i didn't realize that i was perpetuating blank right sometimes it's uncomfortable realizations about yourself uncomfortable realizations about maybe how you were raised or maybe the people around you that you love things that they might've done. So therapy is really, really uncomfortable growth, but it's transformative growth because once you know yourself and learn about yourself, you can't unlearn that, right? It's the, now you have this knowledge and you're like, Oh, so now we have the power to make different choices or decide what we want to do with um, ourselves and our stories.
1: I think we always think self-care has to feel good. You know, we we plan these spa days. We like go to Lush and we buy our bath bombs. And and not that that's saying that's not self-care, but I think people don't realize that what you need is based, what you do in self-care is based on what you need. And, you know, maybe you do need that day where you're, you know, in a bath or getting a pedicure and that's your form of self-care. But therapy in a form of self-care is not something that I ever realized could be used in that space. Like you said,
0: Zena, facials and stuff like that address the symptoms of your issues and whatever, but it's self-growth that kind of addresses the root of the problem. And I think I've said this before like I love facials. Oh my god, I love days where I can just chill in my bed and watch Netflix and just catch up on all my shows. I love that. It makes me happy. It really does. But it is a temporary solution to a problem that at the moment is a permanent problem that mm-hmm. I need to fix and I haven't dug deep enough to fix it. I just kind of stay at the surface. I stay safe. I Stay with the facials and whatnot. But how do we kind of dig deeper and get to the root of the problem and actually start this whole process of self growth?
2: Yeah. So I think your point of like facials, I don't discourage my clients from doing facials. Sometimes we need something that's really soothing. And so I'll ask my clients, is water soothing for you, right? Take a bath when you're overwhelmed, when your system is like really like almost hyper-aware, calm calm it down, taking a bath, taking a walk, doing a facial, those are all going to like bring down some of the physical symptoms we experience when we're like emotionally worked up. So that's like soothing or distracting. The growth piece happens when we create space to kind of work through why we get so emotionally worked up, right? So really, if I'm struggling with anxiety, yes, taking a bath is going to bring my symptoms of anxiety like down. But the growth work happens where we try to figure out like, why am I so anxious, like, what's the story behind here? What needs to be addressed? What needs to be managed? What needs to be changed? Um, so it's kind of at different layers. And so I encourage the soothing stuff. I think it's important. And I think we all need to kind of check in with ourselves and think about when do I need that? But it's not a replacement for like the deeper, harder, more meaningful work that we need to dig into.
1: You know, I think when you do that work, getting to know yourself on that level, you're going to therapy, you tend to start realizing the things that, bring you that discomfort that get you angry that make you feel those negative feelings and thoughts that run through your head how do we let go of those habits that we're discovering as we learn more about ourselves as we discover who we are and what ticks us off
2: yeah so for me the way that I approach it I really think that every action or behavior has a purpose we learn to do it for a reason right and so for me it's always like let's dig a little bit deeper like how is this behavior serving you Because somewhere along the way, you learned that this behavior was serving me in some way. And so we just kind of dig deeper and we're like, okay, what goal for you, what goal is being met through this behavior, right? And so once we identify kind of this internal process that leads to this external behavior that you want to change, then we start to explore, can you meet this same need in a different way? So say, for example, someone has a need for attention, which is actually a really healthy, normal need that we have. So there's no judgment of needing attention because we all need it. But some of us along the way because maybe we didn't get it in the most healthiest of ways, we learn to get attention in destructive ways. The th- ways that don't align with who we want to be or ways that actually might hurt us, but we we just that's how we started to meet that need of attention. So once we kind of dig in and we're like, "Oh, the need that's being met is validation or attention, can we find a different way to meet the same need?" Right? So It's not really like what I love about therapy. And I think when therapy is done effectively, it's not judgy. It's really like, Hey, what happened here? Right? Like what led to this behavior rather than, Oh my gosh, this behavior is so horrible. It's so destructive. Why do you do it? It's really explorative and it's really, really curious, right? It gets us to kind of sit with ourselves and be like, Hey, where did I learn this? Why do I keep doing this? Because you're doing it for a reason. And we just need to dig in and identify what's happening.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that therapists are not judgy because I think that's why a majority of people, you know, seek a therapist because they know that this is an unbiased person that's going to give you the, I don't want to even say the advice you need because I know of you even said like therapists are not meant to tell you do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's more so to be your guide. And I think that's really powerful and that's sometimes what we need in life because you, you can go to your friends and they're so amazing you can go to your family and they're amazing too but they are biased they know who you are and they don't want to also get you mad or anything like that so they're going to try to encourage you as much as possible and motivate you but at the same time sometimes you need to listen and hear the hard truth but I think that's really important to just note that a therapist is not judgy there's just somebody that's just going to truly listen to you and then piggybacking off of what um, Zaina said about patterns sometimes also there are different sets of patterns where we find ourselves that you just got out of a certain relationship and you find yourself if you're in the same relationship again in the same type of marriage and it's like why am I always gravitating towards toxic relationships I'm just using that as an example so why do we find ourselves gravitating towards those toxic people when can we break these chains of patterns and behaviors and I think sometimes it kind of goes back to the thought that we have that oh this is what I deserve
2: yeah so you mentioned a couple of really big points here this idea of therapists not being judgy Um, My supervisor, who is an ordained minister and this wonderful therapist, is always like, the goal of a therapist is to walk with you. And she's always reminding me, she's like, you are walking with your clients. It's not your job to like push them into change. And usually when I'm struggling with a client where I'm like, oh my gosh, nothing's happening. I have to catch myself because she's like, oh, you're trying to make change happen. And you are not the agent of change. I am not the agent of change, right? And because she's an ordained minister and we often work with people who practice faith, she's always like, You are the tool that God is using to help this person go where they need to go, right? So she's like, You are not it, right? You are the tool, the conduit, but you are not the medium of change. And when we start to think that I am going to change my client, you've created a power dynamic that's really problematic. And so your whole point of like, Yes, therapists. Judgment doesn't really get us anywhere. Like, we just get stuck in judgment. And so, therapists walk with. They bring things to light. We hold up truth that we see. We provide perspective. We like highlight, like, hey, I'm noticing this or I'm seeing this. And it's really up to the client to kind of like grapple with it and dig into it a little bit deeper. And I think it's such an honor. Like, I always tell my clients, like, to be invited. Into people's journeys, right? Like you're being given, you're being honored with the permission to be part of someone's like growth journey or grief journey. And it's a really sacred space. And it's really important that therapists approach it that way. And clients realize that there are therapists out there who will sit with you. They're not there to like tell you what to do, they're not there to judge you. And so when like toxic behavioral patterns come to surface, a lot of people are really embarrassed by that, right? They're like, oh my gosh, I keep doing this. It's so toxic. And like my approach is always, let's be curious. What's happening here, right? Tell me kind of your experiences. Tell me what you learned about yourself. Tell me what you've learned through these relationships that somehow the pattern is repeating. Patterns are always telling us something. And so we approach them with curiosity. Like what's going on here? Because I think a lot of times people are really struggling. And I think I saw this on Instagram. It's this idea of like, what's wrong with me that I keep doing this? And as a therapist, i always like approach it with like, what happened? right? Like what happened to you that this keeps happening, right? What beliefs have you internalized? What experiences have you had that caused this pattern to repeat? Um, So we get really curious. And so a lot of times what we find out or what we dig into is what are beliefs that you have about yourself? What are some core beliefs that you have about yourself, about your own worthiness, about what you believe you deserve or who you are that now impact all the decisions that you make in your life? So that's kind of the work that we do. We just keep digging and digging until we land on Oh, this is probably why I keep doing this. If I believe that I'm unlovable, okay, so that's really going to impact every choice that I make because that's a belief that I hold or that I'm unworthy or that I'm incapable of being happy. Any of these beliefs are going to now impact all of the choices that you make in a relationship for work and friendship and everything.
0: We have yes. to be careful with what goes on in our minds because honestly what we feed our minds literally lives within our bodies and it kind of exerts itself into like our
1: actions and whatever. It's it's scary. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think someone as like myself who's never gone through a therapy session, I would feel confident saying I know myself. I know, you know, my triggers, I know what makes me happy, I know what, you know, ticks me off. But deep down I'm sure if I was to go through therapy, I would discover things about myself that I would never have thought and it's kind of a Scary, but also exciting feeling knowing that there's parts of yourself and your own like mental ability that you don't even you haven't even Uncovered yet. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, like you you spend all your time with yourself and you still don't know who you are
0: This conversation is the conversation I needed to prep myself because my therapy session somebody is actually coming up next weekend So this is what I needed because honestly, yeah, it's a, it's a nerve-wracking experience if you're doing this for the first time but it's not as scary as we think it is. I think what we're scared of is really facing ourselves mm-hmm. for the first time. Because I think oftentimes we just don't. We, we, we Like you said, you think you know who you, you are. Don't. But we really don't know ourselves in our entirety. We really don't. And this kind of brings us to the topic of affirmations then. Because if you if we are trying to remove these core beliefs from us, not that our all core beliefs are bad. There's good core beliefs. But if if your core belief is that I'm unworthy, unlovable, I'm a failure, how can we change that? And can we change that through affirmations? And why are affirmations so powerful?
2: The reason affirmations are so, so powerful is because we have core beliefs and those core beliefs feed our thoughts. So if I believe that I'm unworthy, the thought I might have in a given situation is I shouldn't apply for that job. I'm not going to get it anyway a lot of times we'll have that thought not realizing that it's tied to like a deeper core belief. And so when we use affirmations, affirmations are really just reminders that hopefully can help change our thought pattern. And if we remind ourselves enough and they impact our thought pattern, the goal is that thought pattern becomes so normal for us that it starts to impact our core belief, right? So it kind of like is this repetition of something with our mouth that hopefully starts to shape our thoughts. And once it starts to shape our thoughts, it can eventually like move its way up and it becomes a core belief that now we filter the entire world through. So if my core belief becomes I'm worthy, imagine how we would approach the world differently. How would we approach our relationships differently, our jobs, our kids, ourselves, so differently because we believe something that's different about ourselves.
0: When it comes to other people in our lives, when it comes to just going back to even just relationships or marriages, like we gravitate towards people who, quote unquote, are broken. And I say quote unquote because you have something to say about the term broken. And it's so profound because I always thought because sometimes you do truly feel broken, but I don't think that's the right way to label how you're feeling. And we'll get into that. But why is it that we find ourselves able to want to help fix somebody else, want to help like, be there for them and change their mindset, but why can't we do it for ourselves? Why is it much harder for us to kind of better ourselves, but it's easier for us to be there for somebody else and try to change somebody and to make them more positive and heal them?
2: Yeah. So this idea of people being broken, it's really interesting because I was having a conversation about it yesterday. I really pushed back on describing people as broken because then somehow we feel like we need to be fixed. And when we get stuck in the mindset of broken and fixed, it can be really disempowering. Whereas if we evolve that and instead of thinking ourselves as broken, we look at ourselves as, hey, I'm really hurt then we can think about healing as the outcome, right? So like, what do I need to do to heal rather than I'm broken and how do I like fix myself? Because to me, at least personally, when I think about this idea of fixing myself, it's very like, oh gosh, like another thing, like I'm so broken, I can't, Whereas like I'm hurt, I have so much more compassion for myself, right? It allows compassion to show up. And to me, broken and fixed has a lot of judgment to it. And that could be my personal relationship with the words, but really thinking about the words that we use to describe ourselves really impact how we feel about ourselves and also impact our, what the actions that we take. So if we think of ourselves as hurt and needing to be healed, that's like, to me, that allows for pain to be present and it allows for compassion to be present and so yeah that's usually like my pushback anytime like people can feel broken but I want them to explore what does that mean what does that look like and does it just mean that you might just be really really hurt and so I always do that edit the language edit and your point about focusing on other people over ourselves because it's so much easier to focus on other people right it's so much easier to see things in other people than to actually do the work and see it in ourselves so we may have like walls and barriers internally that don't allow us to see how we are hurting how our own mindset is impacting us but it's very easy for us to see in other people and so this is something like as a therapist I have to catch all the time because yes my job my career my passion is to work with people and kind of walk with them along their path that doesn't excuse me for my own work like I have to also look in my own mirror and be like okay like what needs to be like Addressed. What do I need to see? And what's challenging is a lot of us were called to the work of like the helping fields. I put in quotation marks, but like the, the fields of service to other people often go in with the intentions of like, oh, I'm really going to help people. I'm going to help them feel better. And those intentions are wonderful. They just can't be done in a really meaningful way if you haven't done your own work. And so anytime like I get people who want to be therapists, I'm like, have you gone to therapy? Like, cause you need to do that it's so important to make sure that we're also in the seat of the client rather than always just in the seat of the therapist.
1: You know, going back to what you said earlier about language edit, you don't realize the power of words. Like you wouldn't say something to a friend, a colleague, someone that you see all the time, someone you love, but you say those things to yourself. And I know it sounds so cliche, but you need to talk to yourself better. And I think it's something that, I mean, I haven't told myself, Hey, like, I love you, or hey, you look great today. Like, that's not something I tell myself, but I say it to my friends all the time. I say it to colleagues. I say it to people that are in my life, but I'm not really putting myself I think, and that's something that I need to work on as well. And you know, telling myself and, and learning to train my brain to see myself as a positive person, seeing myself as someone who is successful, who is smart, who is intelligent, that to me is probably the hardest form of self-growth for myself.
0: It's like when everybody says like I'm so good at giving advice, but I need to start taking yeah. my own advice. And we don't, we don't take our own advice. But I love how you explained this to Sameya.
2: So it's harder to do our own work. Like that's just the reality of it. It's so much easier to want to tell other people what to do. Like that just comes so much more easily. Right. It's so much easier to be like, oh, you need to work on this or you need to change your mindset because you're so awesome and you need to do things differently. When in reality, like we don't affirm ourselves, we don't talk to ourselves in ways that are kind. We don't sit with ourselves to really highlight like what's happening internally. And your point of like talking to yourself as a friend, I use that all the time with clients where I'm like, Tell me what you say to yourself. Like we actually write it out. We'll do an exercise. Like we'll do a column. What do you say to yourself? Would you one ever say that to a friend? And most of the time when we start to like cross out things that you wouldn't say to your friend, that entire side is done, right? I would never tell my friend she's stupid. I would never tell my friend that like she's a really toxic person or she just needs to try harder or um, any of that. All of it gets crossed out. And when we write out what we would say to a friend in the exact same situation, compassion is there, kindness is there. We give people context, right? So even when our friend does something that you're like, girl, I think, you know, not okay. But the way we communicate that to her is so much gentler and it gives context to her situation. You're like, oh, I totally understand why that would make you so upset, but maybe you could have said it differently. We don't give ourselves that context. We don't validate our emotional experiences, right? And so we're so harsh with ourselves and There's no one we talk to more than ourselves, right? We are the main voice for ourselves. And when we don't notice what we're saying to ourselves, we never get to edit that. We never get to make it like homey for ourselves where we like enjoy hearing our own voices. And it's not always judgy and beating myself up and so harsh.
0: you really tune into your mental chatter you'll go crazy especially because of all the crazy things your mental chatter basically the inner voice says but even to add to that like how often is it that when we know our friend is going through something how often do we check up on on her and make sure she's okay but when was the last time like we check up on our own selves like to actually do a check-in with our own selves like you know this week has been feeling off like why have i been feeling off we don't do that. There's I don't. like I don't know if it's just we live in a world that's just so hyperactive that we're just always on the go and we have our phones in our hands and we're always connected to everybody that we are so disconnected from ourselves. I don't know what it is. But even just going back to the self-growth process, there is a – the part of that is loss. And you would never think to coincide like loss with growth because you think like, why am I losing something if I'm growing? And honestly, you do have to lose parts of you, parts of your life in order to make room for your, your authentic self. Can we talk about that loss journey and why that's prominent within the whole growth process?
2: Yeah, so a lot of times we think that like, oh, once I move into this next chapter of my life, it's gonna be so much better and so exciting and it's all gonna be great we don't always realize is we're also saying goodbye to what used to be right so something is like a basic example that i use with clients is a lot of times when we're like getting married it's this exciting new chapter you're like super pumped about it and we can also be really sad because we're saying goodbye to a way that our life used to be right like whether that's moving to another city or just like friend dynamic shifting or maybe you're moving out of your parents house You're saying goodbye to those, even though you're stepping into something really new and exciting. And so that's like the basic example that I use. because I think a lot of us can identify with that, or it could be like going off to college. So exciting, so wonderful. And it's still kind of sad because you're leaving behind X, Y, Z. And so even when we do our own growth process, sometimes it can be really hard to let go of some of our own, our own thought patterns because we're so used to them. Like we've almost made our internal judge. Like I always talk about like that judgy voice in our head like as a part of us, right? We've made that person, our friend, that part of us, our friend. And so when we start to ask this part of us to kind of back off a little bit or to like, maybe not be so loud, it feels uncomfortable. Like, why am I being nice to myself? That's so awkward. That's so cheesy. Like we have a hard time letting go of what we used to know and what we used to do because one, it's really comfortable. And most of us are designed to want to stay in our comfort zones. And sometimes our comfort zones are our judgy zones right? Like I'm used to being really mean to myself. And so shifting that voice and turning the volume down on it and trying something new can feel awkward, uncomfortable, sometimes feels really sad. Like this doesn't feel like me. And so we have to kind of like work through that. Like that's the growth process. We are evolving and that means certain things don't come with us.
1: And do you think that's why a lot of people don't even attempt to do the work? They don't even attempt to go to therapy and and acknowledge those parts of them because it is like mourning a part of you that will no longer exist. Yeah.
2: The level of discomfort that sometimes therapy can bring is a big barrier for people, right? And so recently, I've actually been talking a lot about discomfort because discomfort is so essential to growth. And if we keep avoiding discomfort, we don't get anywhere. Right. And so embracing like, yeah, therapy is going to be uncomfortable, like bringing these voices to light and really realizing how I've been talking to myself or how I've been talking to other people is really uncomfortable. It may require changing in relationships. It may require leaving some relationships. Right. Like as we grow, a lot of things are going to move and shift with that. And there's discomfort in that. There's sadness in that. There's also excitement and there's meaning in it. Right. And so it's a mixed bag of emotional experiences when you start to do this, like inner digging and growth work.
0: How do we actually sit down with ourselves? Maya? Like literally, is it is it a real physical thing where I'm just going to go alone in a room and just sit down with my thoughts? Or how do we approach this idea of sitting down with ourselves, of acknowledging all of our emotions? And let's talk about emotions because sometimes when we're down and out or we're, we feel sad or we're crying, we feel weak. But you said something along the lines once of like, there are no such thing as good emotions or bad emotions. So how do we start this process of getting to know ourselves better?
2: So for me, like curiosity is literally the key to ourselves. And I think we've lost our ability to be curious. I feel like we associate curiosity with kids, who's like, oh, why did that happen? Why is this here? Why is this person doing this? And they have so many questions. But we forget that as adults curiosity is just as instrumental and so when people are like how do i get to know myself i'm like be curious ask yourself some questions right kind of sit with yourself and be like and i'll often start with like semi-emotional situations so things that trigger emotion in you but are not overwhelming so like first like my first example is usually like someone like cuts you off when you're driving Or the barista forgets your drink, right? Like something that's like every day, but will probably trigger some emotion in us. And so I'm like, in that situation, what emotion is present? Let's build some emotional language. And so people will start to be like, oh, I'll probably be angry, annoyed. I won't really care, right? We start to kind of identify what's the emotional experience. Then we'll be like, hey, what were you thinking that triggered that emotion? So you got really angry when the barista forgot your drink. Tell me what you were thinking that brought up anger. And they'll be like, oh, I just... Like, how rude is that? That's so disrespectful. You're like, oh, so something about the situation made you feel like you weren't being respected. Let's dig a little bit more, right? So we do it very gently. Well, we're kind of just like taking some steps forward. Like, here's the emotion. Here's the feeling. Where did the where did the thought come from, right? So we start to kind of work backwards and we just dig in a little bit. And so you can do that with a therapist. But I also think that some of this work needs to happen on our own. Like, even if you start seeing a therapist, you'll probably see her for like an hour in a week. So a lot of the work is on your own time, like really sitting with yourself and exploring. So start with the small situations. Think about the thought, feeling and behavior behind a certain situation, right? Like your husband forgot to bring something home and you're really upset or you got really sad. I'd like, tell me more what was the story of sadness what were you telling yourself that made you feel really sad and then we kind of dig in and that's a great small way of just starting to notice yourself notice the feelings notice the thoughts and notice your choice and behavior as an outcome
0: we had this discussion before about like little things that go wrong in our lives like literally little things just like you said the whole and Marisa you blow up and you blow up yeah does that warrant a blow up no and i think that's like the ultimate trigger of knowing that there is something going on there's a lot of underlying issues and that's okay but don't allow these you know blow-ups to happen too often there comes a point where you have to really yeah sit down with yourself and analyze why did i feel this way because there's a story behind it. It's really like this. You don't even know this barista. And he just made a mistake with your drink. You're still alive. You're still breathing. But why did you get that mad? There, there's obviously more to it. And I think when it comes to our emotions, I feel like the more we suppress them, the louder they become, the louder, louder they basically yell to get your attention. You once told me a story about like our Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And it was so beautiful that there was a book that you're reading and it kind of talks about his emotional intelligence. Do you mind talking about that?
2: So kind of going back to your first point of like when you have like blow ups, a lot of times our default is to judge ourselves like, oh my gosh, I'm such a horrible friend, sister, mom, wife, whatever, because I blew up. And when judgment shows up, it just ends up making us feel really bad, but it gets in the way of us exploring. Right. So it's so important that when that happens, instead of being like, oh, I'm such a horrible person, be curious. I wonder why I reacted this way. Why do I keep reacting to these small situations in really emotionally significant ways? Something is happening and we have to pause judgment to be able to explore. Give yourself space. Like, yes, the behavior probably wasn't the best thing. Maybe you yelled at the barista. Probably not the best choice. The behavior was not okay, right? We can assess the behavior and ascribe to it like that was a good behavior or a bad behavior or whatever, however you want to describe it, but don't do that to yourself. You're not necessarily a good person or a bad person because of it. Something's happening. Explore it. Be curious. Um, And so I think that's such an important point to make is that we often just use judgment. Judgment doesn't help us. So allowing curiosity to show up and kind of help you kind of trace it back. It's like, what about this was so significant that I reacted so strongly to it. And so for me, like when I like for me, like therapeutic work, emotional work completely aligns with Islam. Yes. Like I literally remember sitting in grad school and being like, oh, my gosh, this is like my faith in like schoolwork, because it was very much about understanding people, understanding systems and empowering people to make change working towards systemic change because social work actually has two pathways that you can study one is clinical which is very individual based and one is macro which is very like systems and community based and so for me that's literally what our faith is about right it's really about creating systems that care for people and supporting people and caring for themselves right so it all kind of ties together and so the class that i'm taking it's really about the prophet's um emotional intelligence and it, it always like warms my heart how much our faith talks about feelings. And it's something that we've like forgotten or like no one really talks to us about in the masjid or in halakas. I think that's changing. But like growing yeah. up, that was not a thing. That's so true. Right? And so like when we think about in the Quran, how many stories do we have about prophets who were struggling? And like, I always use the story of like Prophet Yaqub, where he felt so much grief at the loss of Yusuf السلام, so much that to the point where like, he became blind because he was crying so much. And we never question that he didn't trust Allah enough. Like he didn't believe in Allah enough. Like a we never say that he's the prophet of Allah and he felt so much sadness. And we have the same thing with like the prophet Muhammad وسلم, where like, when his son passed, he cried. He even labeled his emotion, right? He was like, the heart feels grief. And the tongue doesn't utter anything against Allah. Permission to feel is all over our faith practice. And somewhere along the way, we started to associate feeling too much. And I say too much in like quotation marks. I don't know what that means. But like we associated feelings with lack of faith. And we almost like emotionally stunted our communities. Where like people don't know what to do with feelings anymore. Because they're like, oh, well, if I feel then i'm not a good enough muslim or someone's going to tell me that i don't believe in a lot enough so i'm just going to keep shoving feelings aside and so then we ended up with very like emotionally stunted communities which eventually really impacts our abilities to function in the world our abilities to create healthy families healthy parenting healthy communities and so i think the work that a lot of us are doing is the work of unlearning right like what does it look like to create space for feelings as a muslim and not judging myself for them.
1: And I think you can do that work for yourself. You can teach yourself to unlearn those those negative thoughts when it comes to feeling too much or feeling at all. But as a community, it's kind of hard to change everyone around you and unfortunately it does exist, you know. When someone does pass away and someone's crying, they do question, okay, you're not, you don't have your faith in Allah. You're not trusting that journey that he's taking you on. But in fact, it is okay to cry. It is okay to feel grief. It is okay because like you said, if you look at our prophets, it's, it's there, it's in the Quran, it's in those stories. And that makes me feel like when I do get upset, when I do cry, when I do have those negative thoughts, it's okay. And I am allowed. And and like you said, give permission to have those feelings.
0: And this is basically spiritual bypassing, which I'm very excited to talk about with you. And I'm glad you you used those examples, Zina. But can we talk about spiritual bypassing, what it is, and how to not use our faith as an avoidance
2: mechanism? Yeah. So I think it's so important, like, Zaina, to your point, in this seerah, there's this a year that is called Amul huzn right? The year of sadness, because the Prophet experienced so much sadness in that year. He, like, lost his wife, he lost his uncle. An entire year was labeled as the year of sadness. For the rest of his life, when the Prophet saw something of Khadija, anha, her jewelry, her friends, her anyone— he would remember her. He would feel sad at her loss, right? So this idea that we tell people to like confine grief and like, okay, only three days and then you just have to stop being sad. Exactly. It just doesn't add up. Like we don't, grief is a process. It's a journey, right? And so it's like an interesting way that we really limit people's ability to feel. And so we, when you bring up the topic of spiritual bypassing, that's essentially what we tell people, right? Like when people are really sad, we're like, oh, you should be patient. Allah has a plan. Yes. Patience is a beautiful thing to practice. Allah does have a plan and I can still be sad. My sadness is not a reflection of my lack of belief in Allah's plan. Allah does have a plan. I can know that. I can be 100% grounded in that and I can still be so sad about it. I can still struggle with anxiety. I can still have depression and not question Allah at all. And so spiritual bypassing is essentially the process in which we use faith as a way to override feelings so when we tell people like they're going through something hard just be grateful allah has blessed you with so much yes again gratitude is beautiful allah has blessed me and i'm still really sad at the blank thing that happened to me i think our faith allows for duality of experience where we can be really really grateful to allah and we can be struggling we can be so so blessed and we can be sad right we can do both our feelings don't negate our beliefs and so We have to stop giving really superficial advice as a response to really hard feelings. Validate people's feelings. They're having emotional experiences. They're allowed to. And when they're ready, gratitude can be a really transformative practice for us to have. Patience is a really beautiful, rewarded practice that we can do. But it's not a response to the feeling. The feeling is there and it's allowed to be there.
0: That is so beautifully put. And like you said before, Basically, patience and pain are not mutually exclusive. And I think we need to stop using our faith as a barrier and to allow it to actually manifest into a meaningful presence in our lives. We're still humans. Yes, we're Muslims, but we're still humans. But it breaks my heart to know that there are probably a lot of people in our community that need therapy, but they are probably being misguided and they're probably being told just to go pray some more, pray more than the five prayers a day. And the thing is, therapy is more so like a supplement to our faith. And I think we need to start behaving that way for our community i want
2: to add your point this idea of like pain and patience not being mutually exclusive we literally have that in the story of yaqub he went blind from his sadness and allah described his patience as sabrun jameen like a beautiful patient so like we can't separate the two he was really sad and had beautiful patience it existed together right so that complexity of our experiences is so important to honor and recognize
0: How can we basically balance this? Because I know some people like, even me to this day, I feel a little bit guilty when I'm feeling down and out. And that's why it probably took me this long to want to finally seek therapy, to be honest. But how can we not use patience and gratitude as weapons to suppress us and make us silent about our emotions? Like, how can we actually still feel like, I'm still a good Muslim, but I am feeling down. What are ways that we can cope with that?
2: I think we always start with like, we have to validate validation is so powerful. And sometimes we don't realize how significant it is. And so when someone is upset, be like, I see that you're really upset. Like I totally get why you're so upset. Validate the feeling people want to be seen. And oftentimes we approach people thinking that they want us to change how they're feeling. Most of us don't want our feelings changed. We just want someone to sit with our feelings and validate our feelings. So this idea of like, we approach ourselves and people as like, we have to change this feeling. No, we don't have to change this feeling. And kind of going back to the point from earlier, there are no bad feelings. They're just little messengers coming to us because something is happening. Okay, cool. Sadness is present. We allow sadness to be present. We listen to what sadness has to say. And then we support sadness. Like, okay, sadness, now that I've heard you, now that I've seen you, I validated you, would gratitude be helpful? And sometimes it is. And sometimes we're like, no, it's not really helping with my sadness. What's really just going to help me is to give myself permission to wallow for a little bit. And once the sadness kind of works out of my system, I'll be ready to go. Cool. Um, And I know I sound crazy when I talk about like emotions as like third person. I like talk to sadness, but I do that with clients all the time where I'm like, what emotion is present? It could be anger, sadness, grief, and it could be happy emotions too. But generally the emotions I work with are the more Mm -hmm. challenging ones. But we're like, okay, so let's like pull this emotion out. What is this emotion saying to you? What does this emotion need from you? Right? And sometimes, like when we do that kind of conversation with this feeling, it'll be like, yes, I think I need to be reminded of everything else that's good. I think I'm getting stuck. Cool. What does it need to hear? How to be reminded of what's good? Sometimes sadness is like, I'm not ready to leave yet. So I'm just going to hang out. So then when I'm working with my client, I'm like, okay, so how do we give sadness space to hang out for a little bit? Right? How can we create some room for these feelings? Until they're ready to leave. And then eventually they leave. Like we're so afraid that feelings are going to last forever. No feeling lasts forever. Like I work with depression, anxiety. Like I work with everything. And at no point does when we have like anxiety at a 10, it doesn't stay at a 10. It fluctuates, right? So I'm always reminding clients, no feeling is forever. So what if we stopped fighting our feelings and we just let them be We heard them and we met their needs. And then they would go on their merry way.
1: Yeah, This is actually something, one of the biggest arguments I have with my husband because he's very solution-oriented. And so it's like the biggest thing where I'm feeling sad, I want to cry, I'm feeling mad, I want to scream. And he's like, okay, here's what we got to do. And I'm like, no, 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 back up. You need to let me cry. You need to let me scream. You need to let me be in my emotions. And having, like you said, that permission to feel those emotions People need that. People, like you said, sadness needs to stick around for a little bit. As long as you're not allowing
0: it to swallow you whole and where it's taking over every aspect of your life. But like you said, yeah, let's welcome them as guests. Basically, that's what our emotions are, our guests. How can you tell the difference between the fact that you're settling for something versus you're accepting something in the way things are? What are your thoughts on that?
2: That's a hard question. We have a lot of negative connotations around this idea of settling versus accepting and to me when i think about those words settling feels very disempowering like i don't have a choice versus accepting is i have a choice it kind of reminds me in there's a form of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy and it has this concept of radical acceptance where anything that is happening around you you have to start with first just accepting like okay this is what the playing field looks like this is what's out here and then we would go from like just accepting the context to thinking about okay what are the choices that I have? Do I have the choice of walking away from this situation? Do I not have that choice, right? Really thinking about what are my choices and then how can I work with what is actually present to make it align with what I need? This sounds like very high level and I know that once we get down to the nitty gritties, it becomes a lot more complicated, but really just thinking about in every situation, we can often think about what are my choices, right? And so really empowering yourself to approach situations with like, What do I need? What do I want? What are my choices? And when we always approach it from like inwardly grounding ourselves in our own needs, our own values and making the best choice that we can in alignment with that, we can potentially shift away from feeling like we're just settling and kind of like take some steps towards I am choosing to and I am accepting blank. It can be challenging. And I think sometimes we're stuck between the two. Like we may not fully be into like the settling zone, but we may not be fully into like, I feel like I chose this and I accept it. So we kind of do a dance in between. Right. And if we feel like we're fully into settling, what can be done to the situation that may make it feel more like you have a choice that you might have the option of accepting versus just I'm stuck.
0: And it's to the point of like, it, you said something also about like, if you are accepting something or you choose to look at something as if you're ex- accepting it and not settling for it, you're lessening the struggles. Because if right away you automatically label something as I'm settling for this, you feel like, okay, this is another battle I have to fight. But if you're choosing to look at it as like, I'm accepting it, you're more motivated to transform it into what you want it to be. So it's it's just, it's better to look at something as a transformation process than, I'm settling. I'm stuck. This is another battle that I have to add This is the end game. Yeah, Yeah, basically. I can't thank you enough for this conversation, Sameya. Honestly, like it's really opened up my eyes and I hope it's opened up the eyes of everybody else. And I just want to end it on the note of why it's so important to invest our time in therapy to actually seek a therapist for somebody that's just on edge right now that's listening that really is almost about to seek a therapist, but they just don't know how to go about it. But I just I've only heard great things about people and their sessions with their therapists, and it's only helped their lives so do you have any advice for someone who is kind of basically just tiptoeing around the idea and they just need that one final push or just in general just therapy as being an investment to whoever's already seeking therapy
2: yeah so I think for me the question was like what do you have to lose right like really thinking about if I take that first step if you go to your first two sessions and it sucks You are in the driver's seat, right? Like I, as a therapist, I'm not going to be like, you must come, right? No. If you try for two sessions and it doesn't vibe with you or this therapist doesn't work for you, you are the person who has the power, right? In the same way that you have the power to make the choice to walk into that room and walk into that space, you also have the power of walking out of that space. And so just reminding yourself, like I can make a choice and I can unmake that same choice right i can be like oh it doesn't work for me anymore and i can choose to walk away from it and so if you're on the edge of trying really there's not much at stake right in that yes i know that sometimes therapy is expensive so i know that cost is an issue i do know that some level of emotional vulnerability can be a little scary so really honoring that but also realizing that if it doesn't work for you walk away and a good therapist will be like, hey, if I'm not working for you, let me tell you other people to try, right? Because the goal of emotional work is to find the right space to do it. And not every therapist is going to be the right person, right? Like I am not the right person for everyone. As much as I would like to think like, oh my gosh, I'm such a great therapist, everybody come to me. (laughs) The reality is that I'm not, I'm not going to work for certain people. My style is not going to work. I'm not trained to work with everything. I may not meet people's needs. And so feel free, like a lot of therapists will do like 20 minute consultations, give them a call, ask them some hard questions, right? Ask them, what's the population that you work with? Like, what are your credentials? What kind of skills do you have? And especially in the context of the world right now, where like, we're really talking about like racism and internalized biases and all of these, ask those questions, right? Like, what work do you do? like as a therapist like if you're approaching a therapist like what work have you done to address your internal biases like how do, how many clients of other races do you work with right so really empower yourself this is your space therapy is about you and it's for you and so approach it from a space of power you can choose to walk away from it you can choose to ask hard questions you can even ask therapists to do things differently so i'll do check-ins with my clients like hey is this style of therapy working because if it's not There's other styles of therapy that we can practice. Most therapists have like a couple of different forms of therapy in their toolbox. So advocate for yourself being like, hey, this doesn't work for me or this is not okay with me. You need to set a boundary, set that boundary, right? So I really want people to approach therapy from a space of empowerment. It is for you. Make it work in the way that you need it to.
1: I think it's so important that people realize that you are, like you said, the driver and this is your journey and you are in control because I feel like people think, I'm going to go to therapy and they're going to lead it. They're going to take control of it. It's it's yours. And I think that's something that will encourage, hopefully encourage people to take that next step. Honestly, therapy is meant to help us
0: basically understand ourselves a little bit better help us to cope with our emotions to understand why we're feeling the way that we're feeling and to the point of it being expensive i know zaina you gave me this piece of advice check in with your insurance plan yes. and see if they can cover it and that's what i'm doing right I now. i didn't know that it's until awesome. i got a new
1: insurance so like oh yeah we cover all of this stuff and i'm like it's that's incredible. so great wow. to know yeah
0: yeah so right now mine is covered which is so good so alhamdulillah check with your insurance first
2: check with therapists yeah a lot of therapists will do sliding scales like i do a sliding scale so like if you earn less, I charge you less, Oh
0: wow. right? Because nice. like
2: a lot of therapists, one of the big goals is like accessibility. Like, and that's the place that I work at is very big on that. Like, how do we make therapy accessible? So we do sliding scale, right? Okay. And everyone knows that. And so clients who make more are fully aware that they are coming in knowing that they might be paying more than someone else because someone else earns less than them, right? So for me, that's also a part of like communal care. Like if you earn more, you pay more. If you earn less, you pay less. Therapists still get paid a sustainable amount people still have access to care, right? And so ask your therapist, do you do a sliding scale? Do you have any supports for someone who earns less or right now is unemployed? COVID has impacted us in so many different ways. So ask questions, right? Like this is your space. It's your journey. It's really important to honor that for yourself and find a space that honors it with you.
0: I absolutely love that because some people might say, well, why should I pay more? But if you have the means to, you're in a way, not only are you helping yourself, but you're helping somebody else also get that service too. That's incredible. And I love that. And I love that concept. And I hope more therapists uh, use that too as well. So it's awesome.
2: A lot of therapists actually do. I just don't think people ask. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. I never you knew. You need about to know that. to ask. Yeah, because
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, COVID right now, the pandemic really has affected so many people, and you know, we're grateful. Look, yeah, we still have a job, but some people really honestly lost their job, and unemployment checks are not going to probably be that beneficial to them. So it's it's really hard out here. So I, I love this whole communal thought and just being able to be there for one another. Is there something that you just wanted to leave off on the last note, um, Sumeya?
2: So just as a last note, I know all of us are in different places in this journey. And that's okay. You may be someone who's like, I can't try therapy for another year. Or you may be someone 10 years into your journey of therapy, wherever you're at, accept that. That is exactly where you were meant to be. Right. And so really accepting where you're at, like turning the dial down on like the voice of judgment and starting to approach yourself with curiosity. Instead of being so hard of like, why do I always do this? I'm such a screw up really checking in like, hey, I wonder what happened that led me to always doing this behavior or that I keep falling into this pattern. Curiosity is going to be your window to yourself, right? Judgment is like a wall. We feel like we have to protect ourselves against our own judgment. So we like put up walls against ourselves. But if we turn down judgment, we can be curious and you deserve to know yourself, right? Like all of us deserve to have access to ourselves and our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own beliefs. And knowing what our values are, like that's so significant to our well-being. And to me, like all of us deserve that. And so really just honoring, like, be curious about yourself. You deserve to get to know you.
0: Absolutely. You're so right. And what's the best way that people can reach you? And of course, we do want to discuss that you're in Virginia, correct? Is that where you're based? Yes. Yeah.
2: So So I practice in McLean, Virginia. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you can give advice through social media. We definitely want to put that out there. <laughs> yes. But Michelle, you have an incredible um, Instagram page filled with so many resources. If you can just shout your own page out, that would be incredible. So people can go ahead and read all your, you know, read all your content that you have on there.
2: Yeah. So my Instagram page is growth work. And so there's a lot of content on there. The goal, actually, probably in the next couple of months, I'll start doing like monthly workshops so that we can start to like build skills around like certain elements of ourselves. And so that's like the larger goal is to really start to educate and empower our community to like feel better. Like that's really what I think about. I'm like, I just want us to have these tools so that we can feel better so that we can take care of ourselves in more meaningful ways. And so, yeah, you can find me at growth Work. I don't respond to DMs that ask for specific advice because that's like a liability issue and you know, there's ethical issues, but, um, I am there for like, if you need resources to find a therapist in your area or just some general stuff, um, definitely reach out.
1: We'll definitely link that in our description box because your Instagram is very, it was very helpful to me at least. It, it was really helpful So yeah. both of us. Like yeah. I was reading
0: through this stuff. I'm like, this is what I needed to hear right now. So it's incredible. And Zena and I honestly cannot thank you enough, Samaya, for coming on here, for just giving us all this information and for having this conversation with us. And I really hope somebody out there can really benefit from this. Um, but thank you so much for the great work that you've done. And we hope to have you back on. Honestly, we would love to have you have and your own up. podcast because it would be just so interesting <laughs> to listen to just different topics, maybe monthly or something. I, You're incredible. Wow. Well, well. <laughs>
2: Thanks for having me guys. I really loved it. I love the space that you guys have created. I've been like going through a different podcast cuz I took this week off. This was like my self-care week and I was like I'm not going I'm not seeing any clients. So I've been going through diff- the, the different people you've talked to and I love the space that you guys have created and the conversations you guys have had.
0: Thank you so much to me. That means the world to us. But thank you so much and we hope to hear from you again soon inshallah. Take care. Bye.
1: I don't know where or when this began but since why do we need permission to feel our feelings? You know, sometimes you just need to be sad. Sometimes you just need to be angry or mad or upset. And the fact that sometimes people are like, you know, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't be upset. You need to be patient. You need to be grateful for what Allah has given you kind of takes away the validation of what you're feeling. You know, like I said in the episode, sometimes I just need to be mad. I don't need someone to come at me with solutions on how to fix the situation I'm in. I just need to I need a soundboard. I need someone to cry with or a shoulder to lean on. And I don't think our family and friends mean any harm because like if somebody were to come to you, you'd want to give them solutions. Like you said, your husband wants to
0: be solution-based. But I think, all of us kind of jump into that, you know, mode, and we want to help our friends and family, so we give them all these solutions, but, you know, sometimes all we need is just somebody to listen to us, and let me just wallow in my pain just for a little bit, because I don't want it to swallow me, so let me just let it all out, and I think it's hard, because like, it's hard to see your loved ones in pain. You want to help them out, but again it's it's to a certain extent that we can help somebody out so listen to them hear them out I think right now everybody just needs a listening ear these days
1: oh absolutely I feel like right now we're all in our feelings we're all feeling like Drake a little bit right now like just we need to hey don't talk about (laughs) Drake now I love Drake but it's normal and it's healthy and I think as long as we know like you said as long as we know that they're it's not forever. And like as Sumeya was saying, feelings aren't forever. They don't stick around forever. So if you're feeling anxious or stressed or upset or mad or angry or whatever it is, it's okay to feel those feelings. It's okay and it will pass as long as you realize I'm allowed to feel what I'm feeling now. There is a future. There is, you know, sunshine at the end of the rainbow or whatever it is. There is an end to it. Sunshine at the end of the rainbow. I don't rainbow. know. A sunshine at the end of the rainbow. a pot of gold at the yeah. end of the rainbow. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. Isn't the sun already <laughs> shining? Who knows? I don't know what day it is. I don't know. I'm what just laughing it is. because just... somebody
0: literally wrote in our DMs. She's so sweet. She said that we're like the older sisters she never had because she thinks that we're sisters. But you guys <laughs> were not sisters, right? She's just friends. But it's incredible because I've always wanted an older sister, and you don't even yeah, have. Yeah, I don't older have sister. an older sister. But it's it's such an honor for somebody to label us as such. Oh my god, so much. <laughs> and yeah. Here we are saying there's a rainbow. Wait, there's <laughs> a sunshine and a rainbow. But honestly, Wala, we love you guys and we adore you guys and it means the world to us because Zayn and I always wanted this to be more of like a communal conversation every time. We're a communal podcast or a platform, whatever the heck you want to call it. Yeah. Honestly, that's what we we're wanted. We're so good with words today. We're, yeah, we're just like all over the place. If if we didn't edit these podcasts, you guys would not... Uh, no one would tune in. So <laughs> somebody would tune in. But we just can't thank you guys enough. You guys are so incredible. And just the kind words that you guys give us really, really motivates us. And like we said, we only provide the mics. It's the incredible guests that come on here that, you know, just bless us with all this information and these conversations and these healing tools. And it's the fact that you guys tune in week after week after week. It's incredible. And that's what really pushes us. So I really hope this conversation has helped you guys out. And as always, please support our incredible
1: guests because they literally, literally they come on here pro bono and just want to help others. We always link the content. Tax information their instagram if they have a website so mm-hmm. you can check them out because i really really advise you to do so yeah so hopefully you guys enjoyed this
0: episode and i don't know if we're taking a summer break next week who knows but i feel like we should i think i, I mean, think we need a I little think we break need a little break <laughs> even though we're not flying anywhere so do not take us but we just we need a little break maybe but again who knows we might change our mind but we love you guys and hopefully we catch you guys next week or the week after bye bye, bye.